0: Hello, this is Doc Washburn. Recently, we have been focusing almost exclusively on video interviews with the Doc Washburn Show, but I thought today's subject, what they're trying to do to Trump and how he should defend himself, deserved an audio podcast. This is probably the most difficult audio podcast I've ever tried to do. It's taken me over four days to try to figure out how to say what I need to say to you. I've come to the conclusion that President Trump's life may very well be in real danger. I'll explain why over the course of this podcast. So welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. We push back against the Uniparty and Deep State and let you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Now, we've all heard the saying, connect the dots. Well, recently a friend of mine on Facebook said the dots are getting so close together that it seems like they're almost touching, and yet it seems like so many people are completely unaware, blissfully ignorant. Now, I'm very concerned that between the four different prosecutions and almost 100 charges against President Donald J. Trump, they will be able to put him in prison for something. To say that is a bad thing, a horrible precedent to set, does not do does not do this uh, current crisis justice but to express this viewpoint also does not automatically turn a person into some kind of idolater someone who thinks that uh, Donald Trump can do no wrong of course there are people who idolize Trump in that way who think he makes no mistakes who think even now, now there's some sort of grand plan that he is playing five-dimensional chess and that everything that has happened since November 2020 is just part of Trump's grand plan. They rationalize any and every mistake and literally refuse to admit that there actually have been any mistakes. But there are millions of us who don't see President Trump that way. We appreciate the many things that he did, and boy, did he accomplish a lot, especially the first three years and almost two months, while on the other hand, we disagree with him in some areas, but what ties us together is our concern that they are trying to put him into prison, and, and po- possibly worse, that he is being railroaded, that he's being politically prosecuted and persecuted, Look, when people as far from Trump politically as Mitt Romney and liberal law professor Alan Dershowitz have expressed alarm at the legal system's targeting of Trump, it just goes back to something that Trump himself said and Governor DeSantis agreed with him on. This is a lot bigger than Donald John Trump. This is the United States of America. We don't just throw former presidents in jail. It sets a dangerous and horrifying precedent. It is the stuff of banana republics. We are the proverbial frog that the bad guys put in a pot of cold water, and they have been turning the heat up under that pot ever so slowly, ever so incrementally, ever so gradually for many years now. And we have arrived at the point where they're about to boil us all. Now, I want to play you a clip from a brilliant man named Ben Stein. Are you familiar with him? You may remember him from his old TV show, Win Ben Stein's Money, or even his appearance in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But Ben Stein has been a political commentator for the American Spectator magazine for many years, for decades. I recommend his writing to you. Now, here he is talking about what the federal government, what the current regime is trying to do to Donald Trump. A few days ago, I awakened to see on
1: my dining room table a whole bunch of newspapers about President Trump, former President
2: Trump, being indicted for what, to me, seemed like the phoniest charges I
0: have ever seen in my life. He is the former President of the United States. He won tens of millions of votes in the last election. It is not at all clear that he's done anything that in any way endangers the national security and yet he is being indicted and has the possibility of spending the rest of his life and several other people's lives in prison. I think we're now in an occupied country very reminiscent of Paris under the German occupation. Scary. Okay, now the liberals will dismiss Ben Stein's concerns as hyperbole. But it's not hyperbole. He's right. They're wrong. So we're going to dig into concerns about what the Obama-Biden regime are trying to do to President Trump. We will include Mark Levin's concerns that President Trump's legal team doesn't seem to be doing the obvious things that they should be doing to protect their client. Mark Levin is beyond frustrated with Trump's legal teams in action but we will also include Tucker Carlson and Dan Bongino's concerns that President Trump's very life may be in danger. Now, there are two risks that I see in expressing concern about the legal peril that Trump is in, or for that matter, concerns about his physical safety. The first concern would be that liberals and folks who aren't, even liberal, but just don't get it, will dismiss a guy like me by saying something along the lines of, oh, well, you just worship the orange man. He's your Lord and Savior. That's why you don't want anything to happen to him. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. I only have one Lord and Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. I worship no mortal man. Just because I still believe the 2020 presidential election was stolen, doesn't mean I don't have serious policy disagreements with former President Trump. I intend to make that clear momentarily. The other, albeit lesser risk, we run when discussing the former president's legal troubles is the response from people who, because they are huge fans of President Trump, say things like, oh, they wouldn't dare put him in jail. Or, nah, I don't believe that'll happen. I don't know how to try to reason with people who are that deep into denial who are ignoring everything that's going on around them, everything that's been going on since the illegal unconstitutional raid of his home over a year ago. But I'm reminded of a quote from the great philosopher Jackson Brown who once said, don't think it won't happen just because it hasn't happened yet. So before we get to my very real concerns about what a completely politicized Department of Justice, FBI, and Georgia, and New York prosecutors are trying to do to former President Trump and what other even darker forces may have planned for him, I'm going to have to establish my bona fides as an independent political thinker, as someone who is not just in lockstep with everything that President Trump says and does. It is incumbent upon me to establish my policy disagreements with him. By the way, this is nothing personal. I have friends who work for President Trump and friends who have worked for him in the past. But I don't want anyone to misplace my concern for President Trump's well-being with some kind of blind allegiance to him. So two things can be possible at the same time. A person can have serious disagreements with former President Trump while simultaneously being deeply concerned about the outrageous political persecution and prosecution of this man, not to mention his very physical safety. Okay, first of all, the only thing that got Trump booed at by his own supporters at Trump rallies back when he still did Trump rallies was his continued insistence on how wonderful the COVID vaccines are and how proud he is that he skipped all the usual tests to get them rolled out as quickly as he could. That was the only thing that ever got boos from crowds that otherwise cheered pretty much everything he said. He continues to remind one and all, that a vaccine rollout usually takes three to five years, but he got it done in just a few months. He also continues to insist that the vaccines are wonderful and may have actually saved 100 million lives. Now, with all due respect, the reason it usually takes three to five years to approve a vaccine is that the government, the FDA, is supposed to require rigorous testing to make sure the vaccines are safe and effective. That was not done with the COVID vaccines. There has been a sharp rise in all-cause mortality since the vaccines were rolled out, an increase in miscarriages from pregnant women who were vaccinated. And by the way, how could they say the vaccines were safe for pregnant women, when they were still saying the vaccines were not safe for anybody under the age of six. But that's home of the show. And of course, an alarming number of young, healthy athletes have just been dropping dead. The phrase died suddenly has become a regular feature in our news and our social media. But not according to Trump. No, no. Not in Trump world. Vaccines are wonderful as far as as he's concerned. Glenn Beck recently interviewed President Trump. Unfortunately, the president insisted his administration did a great job handling COVID. He wouldn't change a thing. And he made a point of specifically mentioning what a wonderful job they did with the ventilators. I mean, hey, it's too bad 97% of the people put on an event died. As far as Trump was concerned, they were wonderful too. Also, unfortunately, Glenn Beck did not push back on anything the president said. So, handing the country over to Fauci and Burks, who shut down the most prosperous economy in the history of the world, and hey, Donald Trump gets credit his economic policies leading to the most prosperous economy in the history of the world until he let Fauci and Burks shut it down. Sh- signing the CARES Act, which among other things, funded mail-in voting, allowing the Democrats to steal the 2020 election, were horrible decisions. And President Trump was doing such a great job up until March 16, 2020. With those decisions... Giving the keys to Fauci and Burks and signing the CARES Act. Those decisions sealed his fate. He needs to acknowledge his mistakes. But I just don't think he has it in him. I just don't think he's ever going to be able to do that. Oh, and while we're at it, the CARES Act also helped add trillions of dollars to the debt. So the seeds for the inflation that Obama and Biden are trying to expand actually, unfortunately, truth be told, started under Trump. Now, halfway through the COVID madness in Trump's last year in office, he did a good thing. He hired Dr. Scott Atlas, supposedly, to try to turn the COVID program around. Now, here is Dr. Atlas's friend, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, of Stanford, one of the uh, great frontline doctors, to try to explain how that whole thing went down.
3: What happened there was like uh, Trump and Pence allowed Deborah Burks, who was the head of the COVID task force, to go fly around the country, scaring the living daylights out of every single governor, telling them it's irresponsible to keep your, your state open. Um, and, of course, most politicians complied because, you know, they're not experts. Uh, they, essentially what happened was like a, a small group of experts hijacked those administrative procedures to try to inform the president and the government with one view when there should have been multiple views. Right. Because there was a lot of objection in the scientific community to this, but you wouldn't know it if you were paying attention to the press and you wouldn't. And I think if you were inside the government, it would have been difficult for you to know it. Also, President Trump then in July of 2020 hires my friend Scott Atlas. I was really happy when President Trump selected Scott Atlas because, you know, he's the former chair of neuroradiology at Stanford, a fantastic health policy advisor. So he understood very deeply the folly of the lockdowns and the harms of the lockdowns. And I think that's what he was telling President Trump. But then as the summer wore on, I just grew more and more frustrated because Scott would call me every day saying, look, no one's listening to me inside here. I'm presenting data and papers and it's just like talking to a brick wall. They're not interested. He tried to organize a, a visit up to the White House and he was getting blocked by folks inside the White House. Turns out by Deborah Birx herself. I kept asking myself if the president of the United States is the president of the United States, he's decided that the strategy he used in this pandemic was wrong to begin with and he switched, that's what hiring Scott Atlas means, right? Why is he keeping the old people around? It's like you're conducting a war, it's failing, and you decide to change strategies, but you keep the old generals around to undermine the new general you've hired. That's what happened during that summer. At least least that was my view of what happened during that summer of 2020.
0: And, of course, the studies keep coming out. About how the lockdowns, which began under Trump, really set American children's education and social development back. As a matter of fact, let me share you the latest. Share the latest with you from Dan Hannon over the Washington Examiner. Article from september fourth, twenty twenty three, entitled The Numbers Are In, and we can say it with certainty lockdowns were worse than useless. It was all for nothing. Really, for nothing. The miseries we inflicted on ourselves after March 2020, the school closures, the ruined businesses, the debts, the authoritarianism were caused by a moment of lightheaded panic. How can I be so sure? Because three and a half years on, the results are in, and let me warn you, They make dismal reading for anyone who went along with the lockdowns. You see, there was a counterfactual, a counterfactual all along. Sweden did not impose mask mandates or stay at home orders. It did not close its borders or its businesses. Other than banning large meetings, it carried on as normal and told people to use their common sense. Internationally, Swedes were portrayed as gamblers, defying the scientific consensus. But it was they who were following the epidemic protocols drawn up by the World Health Organization in cooler-headed times, protocols that never contemplated the mass immobilization of the population. The rest of the world embarked on an experiment. Sweden was the control group. And the leaders of other countries knew it at the time. Hence, their resentment of that stolid, sensible social democracy. In a series of leaked messages on WhatsApp, the British health minister, Matt Hancock, raged at what he called the blanking Sweden argument. In one of his texts, he instructed an advisor to, quote, Supply three or four bullet points of why Sweden is wrong, unquote. Note the phrasing. Supply three or four bullet points of why Sweden is wrong, not if Sweden is wrong. Britain, like most of the world, had by then committed itself to the most illiberal and expensive policy in the modern age. The idea that it had overreacted was too awful to contemplate. For a while, Sweden did seem to be faring worse than comparable countries. It was never the outlier that it needed to have been to vindicate the lockdowns. Its reported death toll by the end of June 2020, 517 deaths per million people, was higher than in the rest of Scandinavia, but lower than Spain and Italy. Still, that early bump allowed critics to pronounce that the policy of openness had failed. New York Times dismissed Sweden as a pariah state. Former President Trump declared, and I quote, Sweden is suffering very greatly. You know that, right? Sweden is suffering very, very badly, unquote. But the declared purpose of slowing transmission had been to flatten the curve so that hospitals would not be flooded flooded at any given moment. Unsurprisingly, then Sweden's infections were front loaded, but they never came close to overwhelming the healthcare system. In any case, even within Scandinavia, different countries had different rules for recording COVID deaths in Norway. COVID had to be declared a cause of death by the attendant physician. In Sweden, if you choked on a meatball while carrying the COVID virus, you counted as a COVID death. That is why statisticians said at the time that we needed to wait until the figures were in to make like-with-like like comparisons. The most basic measure is overall excess deaths, that is, how many people died during the three years of the pandemic versus the previous three years. On that measure, Sweden did not just avoid a high death rate. According to Eurostat, the official statistical agency of the European Union, Sweden had the lowest death rate in all of Europe, below even Denmark, Norway, and Finland. 4.4% higher than the previous period, compared to 11.1% higher for Europe as a whole. Now, we can fine-tune that calculation by factoring in age, obesity levels, and so on, and asking how many people we would normally expect to die If we do that, Sweden actually lengthens its lead over the rest of Europe. Other rankings use different methodologies, and Sweden is not always the single best performer, but it's always at or near the top of the table, far above countries that chose to incarcerate their peoples. For example, our world in data puts Sweden's excess death rate at 5.6% compared to 10% in Britain and 14% in the United States. The London Economist puts it at 180 per 100,000 people compared to 345 per 100,000 in Britain and 400 per 100,000 in the U.S., The gap is growing as the long-term consequences of lockdown from mental health problems to missed cancer screenings kick in. And poverty tends to correlate with lower life expectancy. According to the OECD, the world economy at the end of 2021 was almost 3% smaller than it would have been with no pandemic. But Sweden's economy was actually four-tenths of a percent Higher. No, there's no way to sugarcoat this. The people who ordered the lockdowns caused needless poverty, illness, and death. They did not mean to, but they did. Now, that is Dan Hannon, contributor over the Washington Examiner op-ed entitled, The Numbers Are In, and We Can Say It With Certainty, Lockdowns Were Worse Than Useless. Now, for a lot of people, history began yesterday. They have no remembrance of what was going on in 2020, but I do. I do. And I remember President Trump being very upset when certain governors would say, okay, we're done, we've had enough, in the summer of 2020, we're going to go ahead and open our states back up. No, no, no. Now Trump couldn't force them to stay closed, but boy, he sure used that bully pulpit to tell them they were doing the wrong thing. That's a shame. Now we're going to get to the part where I have serious concerns about president Trump's physical safety Serious concerns about the fact that obviously they're trying to put him in prison for the rest of his life. But i got to do a little bit more at establishing my bona fides as an independent political thinker who's not just mindlessly following him no matter what he says or does. More of the Doc Washburn Show coming right up. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase a vehicle online if you have any questions. One of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S. RedRiverAuto.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever For five or six weeks, every spring, all my life, and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and the migraines went away for good. Whatever malady you're suffering from, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped so many people I know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Do you want to drop your big liberal cell phone carrier? Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier, is a perfect solution. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. And switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you shift your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com. Or call their. US.-based customer service team at 972 Patriot. Make sure you use Promo code Doc that's DOC for free activation.: Okay, there's a woman that I follow over on Twitter who goes by mama Mia, and she frequently has thought-provoking things to say, and from time to time I I share things that people say on Twitter. And she says the people who keep telling me that Trump had no power to stop the lockdowns in 2020 are also telling me that Trump won't lock the country down if we elect him next year. Just so we're clear, he won't shut down our national parks, cemeteries, or places of worship again. He won't close the Grand Canyon again. His CDC and OSHA won't be requiring masks in the workplace again. He won't hand out blank checks to the public schools so that they can remain closed again. He won't reprimand governors for opening up too early again. He won't rush the FDA to approve a vaccine under emergency executive powers and grant companies like Pfizer and Moderna immunity from liability again. This time it will be different. I'm telling you, people out there are saying things like this. And I have a hard time seeing any holes in their logic. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is out there talking about Pfizer. And I'm not going to play you the audio because his voice is very difficult to listen to. But I will surely share with you the high points of what he said recently Robert Kennedy, Jr. exposes the results of the Pfizer trial. 20, 20, pardon me, 22,000 were injected with the Pfizer vaccine, and 22,000 took the placebo, which was just a saline solution. Results showed the number needed to vaccinate to save one life was 22,000 people. If you vaccinate 22,000 people, you might save one person's life. However, the vaccinated group were 21% more likely to die over the next six months from all-cause mortality. And the vaccinated group were 400% more likely to suffer a cardiac arrest in the next six months. Remember DeMar Hamlin? Young man with the Buffalo Bills? Who basically dropped dead on the football field, Monday Night Football, back in January. You you don't do CPR on somebody for nine solid minutes. I mean, but they, they had to. You don't have 300-pound, full-grown men sitting on benches on the sidelines of an NFL football field openly, loudly, sobbing into towels because they think he's going to get up again. You don't have his uncle saying the next day, yeah, they had to defibrillate him at the football field and again when he got to the ER. That's just a normal reaction to a a routine tackle in NFL football or any other kind of football. We all know what happened. And then he goes on, uh, gets interviewed by Michael Strahan on the Super Bowl pregame show. After, thank God, he survived. And Strahan asks him, Michael, man, you know, that was just amazing that you lived through this. What, what did the doctors tell you? What, what what really happened? Thirteen seconds of silence, and then finally, Demar Hamlin says, "Uh, yeah, we're not gonna talk about that today." Do you get it? We're not gonna talk about that today. Now remember, I am attempting to establish my areas of disagreement with President Trump publicly so those who don't like him can't say that I am unreasonable in expressing how wrong our weaponized federal government is in their ruthless persecution of him and how concerned I am for his actual physical safety. Okay, now let me say a few words about January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol before I tell you how difficult the situation President Trump is in right now. Several nonviolent January 6th protesters have been sentenced to double digits in federal prison each in the past few days. Dominic Pizzola was sentenced to 10 years. Zachary Rell was sentenced to 15 years. Joe Biggs was sentenced to 17 years. Ethan Nordine was sentenced to 18 years. By the way, a little, a little detail on Joe Biggs is in order young man is going to spend the next 17 years behind bars for being in the Capitol for 20 minutes nonviolently. He has a six-year-old daughter and a mother with cancer. At his sentencing, he begged the judge to let him take his daughter to school. Most recently, the day after Labor Day, Judge Tim Kelly sentenced a man named Enrique Tarrio, who wasn't even in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Judge sentenced him to 22 years in prison. The judge added a terrorism enhancement to Tario's sentence because of someone shaking a fence at the Capitol that day that Tario was miles away from. In total, Judge Kelly... who, by the way, was appointed to the federal bench by Donald Trump. Judge Kelly has sentenced five Proud Boys to a total of 82 years in jail, at least. Now, Julie Kelly, reporter Julie Kelly, no relation to Judge Kelly, has been covering January 6th better than anyone else. She's been writing about it ever since it happened over at amgreatness.com ever since January, 2021. Here's what she just said about Enrique Tarrio's case. She said it was an appropriate end to judge Kelly's disgraceful handling of this case from the start. He is pals with one of the lead prosecutors. They used to work together and is married to a top aide to Washington DC mayor Muriel Bowser. Judge Kelly helped DOJ conceal info on FBI informants and FBI misconduct. Now, it is my duty to play for you audio from a video clip of Julie Kelly with Tucker Carlson on his old Fox Nation show back in November of 2021. People are going to be offended that I asked this, but I can't control myself.
2: So, like, what about the president on whose behalf they were gathered that day? Like, has anybody sent them money? I mean, has anybody really raised the people around and Brad Parscale, all these like, people are getting rich, right? Right. Complaining that the last election was rigged, which it clearly was, right. obviously. Yes. And they're making all this money, and all these people are sending all this money down to Florida but is any of that money going to defend these people who went to this rally on behalf of that candidate? Not that I know of. And I will say no. No. And it's a question that I've been asking myself, and I know a lot of them have been asking too. You know, we were there, and a lot of them were there to support Trump. They were there to support Trump. They were there to protest the election being taken from him unlawfully. Um, But aside really from a few comments about political prisoners, and he has said a few things about Ashley Babbitt, to my knowledge, and I'm pretty involved in what's happening with the defendants, especially the detainees, no, there has not been anything, any financial aid coming from anyone of a prominent position to help these people. I just find that appalling. I, do I do really do. I, do. I really too. find that appalling. I do, too.
0: I find it appalling, too. And... um I'll say this about that. I think both those people are probably planning on voting for Donald Trump in the Republican primary. But Tucker, he didn't ask Donald Trump, but he asked Julie Kelly, you know, 10 months into this November, 2021 has Trump contributed any money to help these people with their legal defense. And Julie Kelly says no. No, he hasn't. Now there's a columnist over at Redstate.com, Bonchi. B O N C H I E. I don't know what his real name is, but he's been going by that for a long time. And for six years, Bonchi at Red State was a reliable defender. Of Donald Trump. He's having some problems with that right now. Here is his response to the back and forth that I just played for you, Tucker Carlson and Julie Kelly. Bonchi says Trump had a chance to show his loyalty. He raised $250 million for Stop the Steal to pay legal fees. He could have pardoned every nonviolent offender, instead, he threw them to the wolves. And only started talking about them when it was convenient for his primary run. That was the moment I knew, after spending years defending him, that Trump wasn't who he claimed to be. That so many who once criticized him for his treatment of the January 6th prisoners now pretend like it didn't happen and don't hold him to account at all is why we deserve to lose in 2024. Thousands of lives ruined because they trusted Trump. And it's all been memory hold because he might spend his waning days playing golf at a resort. He says people like to accuse me of hating Trump or being never Trump. Those people are idiots. I've got years of documented defenses of Donald Trump. I voted for him twice. I may vote for him again. If he's the only viable option, it's Biden. But I'm not going to ignore what he's become. He will throw anyone under the bus to protect himself, even for short-term political gain. It's why he tried to primary Thomas Massey, Republican congressman of Kentucky, for not supporting the CARES Act. It's why he cites Philip Bump of the Washington Post and people like Mehdi Hassan. It's why he has a direct line to Maggie Haberman, New York Times, and caved on amnesty. It's why he signed the omnibus bills and praised Paul Ryan. He's become completely enamored with himself and his future, everyone else be damned, including conservatives. If it angers you that I'm intellectually consistent enough to not forget all that because the primary started, it's not me that's got the problem, it's... You. Okay, so that's Bonchi over from Red State, and he's not. He's not pulling any punches. Now Jenna Ryan was a January sixth protester from Dallas. She's a real estate agent in Dallas who did nothing violent, no vandalism. But wound up spending sixty days in jail. Now, I have for you her request to President Trump five days before he left office, and it went something like this.
2: I would like um, a pardon from the president. Of the United States, I think that we all deserve a pardon. We, I'm, I'm facing prison sentence. Um, I think that I do not deserve that, and I think every person, you know, from what I understand, everyone's going to be arrested that was there. So I, would, I think everyone deserves a pardon, and I would ask the President of the United States to give me a pardon.
0: Okay, that was real estate agent and January 6 protester Jenna Ryan of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, being interviewed by a television station there five days before President Trump left office. All right, here's Roger Stone himself, four days before Trump left office, insisting that Donald Trump should pardon these people.
1: He has four more days of power. He can either let his supporters be thrown to the lions or he can save them. It's that simple. And, and, and is, isn't there a risk of how. There is no risk. He's leaving. There is no risk. How it looks? Who gives a fuck how it looks? How does it look when they spy on you without a warrant? How does it look when they arrest you without probable cause? How does it when they try to beat you into admitting something? How about when they take a word? You said the word fight, Mr. Stone. You said fight in your speech. You said fight for America. You're charged with inciting violence. These people are a bunch of despicable creeps. I just clashed with them once. I won that round, as you may have noticed.
0: All right, so let me say this about that. I agree with Roger Stone. By the way, there's video of Ethan Nordine, the guy who just got sentenced to 18 years, just peacefully walking past Capitol Hill Police having entered the Capitol building peacefully on January 6th. But two weeks later, January 20th, 2021, the day that Joe Biden was being sworn in, inaugurated, when it dawned on Ethan Nordeen, the President Trump was not going to pardon him, that President Trump was going to let him do hard time, he sent a very angry text to a friend. And there's some words in here I'm not going to be able to say because he drops the F-bomb a whole lot of times. He's that angry. But i I got I to share some of this emotion with you. He says, all right, I'm going to say it. Blank Trump. Blank him more than Biden. I've followed this guy for four years and given everything and lost it all. Yes, he woke us up. But he led us to believe some great justice was upon us, and it never happened. Now I've got some of my good friends and myself facing jail time because we followed this guy's lead and never questioned it. We are now and always have been on our own. So glad he was able to pardon a bunch of degenerates as his last move and blank on us on the way out. Blank you, Trump. You left us on the battlefield bloody and alone. This is the guy that just got sentenced to 18 years. Ethan Nordine. So, like I said, I agree with Roger Stone. I believe President Trump should have issued a blanket pardon for January 6th protesters before he left office on January 20th, and no... He didn't have to wait for convictions. No, he didn't have to wait for indictments. President Ford pardoned President Nixon, even though Nixon had never been charged with a crime. And no, President Trump didn't need to know all of the names of all the people. At the Capitol on January 6th, Jimmy Carter issued a blanket pardon covering Vietnam draft Dodgers known and unknown. By the way, there were two Supreme Court decisions, one in 1866, one in 1871, which gave a president, which give all presidents virtually unlimited pardon power. Supreme Court decisions in 1866 and 1871. You could look them up if you want to. Now, if you are one of the millions of Americans who have no idea how to research something, how to look something up, how to use an Internet search engine. Ask a younger person. He or she will show you how. Anyway, I think it is a great miscarriage of justice that President Trump did not use the pardon power that he had to help these people who are now doing hard time in federal prison for sticking up for him, but instead pardoned a whole lot of notorious criminals, healthcare executives who swindle people, Rappers, corrupt Democrat politicians. I think it's just awful. So we have established the fact that I have serious disagreements with President Trump. So no one can honestly chalk my deep concern about his personal safety up to some sort of hero worship. If you had any illusions about that, I think I've just destroyed all that for you. So we're going to share Mark Levin's alarm at what he sees as Trump's legal team failing him in a moment. And I wasn't going to get into Tucker's concern that they might be setting President Trump up to be assassinated because I thought that might have been over the top until I heard what Dan Bongino had to say on his national radio show on Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and that completely turned me around and that is coming up next. Mike Lindell says because of your amazing support for my Pillow 2.0, he's expanded my Pillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. So he's clearing out his percale bed sheets by giving them to you at closeout prices. King size percale bed sheets only thirty nine dollars a set. Queen size only thirty five dollars a set. Full size twenty nine dollars and twin size just twenty five dollars. Use promo code DWS to take advantage of this once in a lifetime offer. Right now, Mike's biggest my slippers closeout sale ever is on. Get Mike's all season my slippers and sandals at clearance prices. Mike's all season moccasin slippers are just twenty five dollars. Mike's My Slipper Sandals are just nineteen They're both made with Mike's patented impact gel that absorbs and relieves pressure so you can comfortably wear them all day long. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. Remember, DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com, quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code D. W S You know the great Ronald Reagan once said inflation is as violent as a mugger as frightening as an armed robber and as deadly as a hitman Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals Here are 5 profound benefits Number 1 investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation Number 2 it's a great way to diversify your portfolio Number 3 asset liquidity Number 4 Precious metals tend to be a store of value. They don't tend to depreciate over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. Andrew Sorcini with Beverly Hills Precious Metals has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Beverly Hills Precious Metals brings precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. Mike Flynn told us about them, and they are our gold buyer of choice. To find out more, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn silver coin and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Beverly Hills Precious Metals helps folks protect their finances, wealth, and investments. Let me ask you something. Why continue shopping big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now you can get around this crazy inflation by shopping factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big-box conglomerates and deciding to buy only USA. Join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. These products include fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone, this beef is known as never, ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. All right, Michael Schellenberger was one of the journalists that uh, Elon Musk allowed to look behind the curtain at Twitter when he took over, one of the journalists who uh, helped put together reports on the Twitter files. And he's out there on Twitter now saying, the foundation of our legal system, equal justice under law, is in grave danger. The Justice Department is actively undermining the prosecution of the president's son while seeking to incarcerate his political rival. Biden is destroying the legitimacy of our democratic system. That's true. So true. All right, now, as I was saying a few minutes ago, I wasn't going to mention what Tucker said recently about being worried that Trump might be being set up to be assassinated because it it just seemed like it was just too over the top. But when I heard what Dan Bongino said on his first radio show after Labor Day, I, I knew, I knew, I knew that I had to talk to you about this. So we're going to play what Brother Bongino said on Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. But first, we have Tucker with Adam Carolla on his podcast. And it went something like this. What do you think the future holds Is it, I don't know. I mean,
1: are they going to let Trump be president? Of course. I mean, look,
2: if, you know, they protested him. They called him names. He won anyway. They impeached him twice on ridiculous pretenses. They fabricated a lot about what happened on January 6th in order to impeach him again. It didn't work. He came back. Then they indicted him. It didn't work. He became more popular. Then they indicted him three more times, and every single time his popularity rose. So if you begin with criticism, then you go to protest, then you go to impeachment, now you go to indictment, and none of them work, what's next? I mean, you know, graph it out, man. We're speeding toward assassination, obviously, and no one will say that, but I don't I don't know how you can reach that conclusion. You know what I mean? Like they have decided permanent Washington. Both parties have decided that there's something about Trump. that's that's so threatening to them. They just can't have him. I mean, they're putting him on trial in March of next year in the J6 case, which basically consists of trying to send him to prison for the rest of his life for complaining about the last election. That's literally what it is again, if this were happening in Moldova, the State Department would issue an all-hands-on-deck order to let the world know this is not a legitimate government. And yet, our government is doing it. It's like, it's it's really, it's hard to overstate how bad this is, and I'm not, I, I don't, I don't know where it's going, but there's a collision that's clearly imminent. And by the way, the president is senile in a way that's impossible to deny. Biden's not running the government, you know, so like, I don't know, man. I've never been this worried about anything as I am about
0: where this is going. It's not hyperbole. I'll just say that about Tucker. That's not hyperbole. I think he has a very real concern, and he's a lot smarter than I am. Okay, here's Dan Bongino. Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, on his nationally syndicated Westwood One Radio talk show.
1: A bunch of people have reached out and expressed serious concerns that people at the top of the Secret Service are not taking the threats, the growing, metastasizing threats against Donald Trump's life seriously. They are not providing the assets and they are downplaying the threats. The threats are real. Now, the media people that either want him hurt or want to stop you from talking about the ongoing conspiracy within the government to get Trump hurt, to get it maybe worse, or to keep him off the ballot. Want to shut you up. So anytime you mention something fact-based, the spying on Trump, collusion against Trump, the uh, speeding towards assassination comment that uh, Tucker made, they are going to try to shut you down. Here's where it started. This loser, Daniel Arkin, this guy's going to get someone hurt. Daniel Arkin at NBC wrote this article this weekend. Tucker Carlson stokes conspiracies claiming the U.S. is speeding towards an assassination of Trump. The comments presented without evidence have been picked up by other media personalities on the far right, including conspiracy theorist Alex Jones and former Fox News host Dan Bongino. You're accusing me of what? Listen to me. Here's the problem. The court system is an embarrassment and a joke. It's a total embarrassment. I sued a media outlet once, had him absolutely dead to rights, had the guy's text, and we still lost. You can't win if you're a conservative. I would sue this guy in a heartbeat. The problem is I'm a public figure, and honest to God, I have no chance in this justice system. None. This guy, Daniel Arkin, is a freaking disgrace to humankind. I have DM'd this guy. You want to see? Here's my phone. I'll show you. I have DM'd this guy three, four times because I know these threats are real because I've heard it. From actual sources on the inside. Here's my DMs to Daniel Arkin. You're a disgrace. You don't know jack-ish about presidential protection or journalism. Your article is going to get a lot of good people hurt. Don't miss my show. You're going to be a big part of it. This was Friday. Here's Saturday. For the record, I still haven't heard back. Coward. Sunday. Still waiting to hear back. Jump. There it is. Right there. That's my own phone. I DM. They still haven't heard jack-ish from Dan Arkin. So you're calling me a far right conspiracy theorist, despite the fact I actually worked in the Secret Service for 12 years protecting Democrat and Republican presidents and have a bevy of contacts in the entire security space. You're a journalist for NBC. He cites no sources in his piece at all, not a single human being who has any experience with security at all or any of my contacts. He has no idea who I spoke to. He never reached out. And this chump piece of human garbage claims we're making it up. Let me tell you something. Get this on the record. Lefties, get this on tape right now. God forbid something happens to Donald Trump because of what I'm telling you that they're not taking his threat matrix seriously i will never ever forget this article and daniel arkin's piece i will highlight every day to make sure you know that the people who wanted trump hurt use this as cover to not do anything about his growing security situation
0: did you feel that did you feel the passion the emotion there from dan bongino Because I sure did. Now, I've never met Tucker Carlson, but obviously he has a track record of being an honest reporter. I've spoken with Brother Bongino a few times. Once on the air, several times off the air. He's a good guy in my book. He's also former Secret Service. Now, if the two audio clips I just played you don't concern you. I don't know what to tell you. I can't help you. Pray for our country and pray for President Trump. Now, I want to go to Mark Levin. I want to go to Mark Levin. He's got an article over at Fox called The Trump Prosecutors Have a Grand Jury Problem. Where are the defense attorneys? Okay? And here's what Mark Levin says. Let me address a very important and timely matter that as best as I can tell has not been addressed by the legal commentariat, or for that matter, defense counsel in the wide-ranging charges against President Donald Trump and his co-defendants. The Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution states in pertinent part that no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime, unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. Is that what happened? When Special Counsel Jack Smith and the Biden Justice Department used the Washington, D.C. grand jury to charge former President Trump for alleged crimes that occurred in Florida, in the so-called documents case, clearly using the wrong venue in violation of specific DOJ policy, and then hastily moved The case to a grand jury in Florida? The protection afforded by a fair grand jury proceeding dates back many centuries to the Magna Carta and was prominently implemented by British and American courts applying Blackstone's legal doctrines. The notion that any grand jury when indict a ham sandwich refers to the usual adoption by grand juries of evidence presented by a prosecutor. It should not eradicate a right that was deemed important enough to be included in the Bill of Rights. The public and the courts must realize that these are accusations crafted and made by the individual prosecutors and not the result of deliberations and subsequent decisions by a group of ordinary citizens. Since the Florida grand jurors did not hear the testimony presented to the D.C. grand jury, exactly what did they hear? or C, to charge the former president and the other defendants. Was the D.C. testimony read to them? What were they instructed about the D.C. testimony? Were they asked whether they had any questions for the witnesses who testified? Were they instructed on the need to find probable cause as to each of the defendants? Were they instructed on the law? The customary procedure in cases of obvious crimes is just to submit an indictment drafted by the prosecutors to the grand jurors and ask them to vote up or down. When the charges are not about an obvious crime and are instead much more complex, such as in the so-called documents case, the constitutional right to be indicted by a grand jury must require more than that. Indeed, The D.C. grand jury met for many months, heard from many scores of witnesses, and was presumably provided with an enormous amount of so-called evidence presented to it by the government. We already know from the subsequent public record in the court proceedings in Florida that what the government has turned over to the defendants consists of over one million documents and nine months of videotape, which will be used in whole or part During the trial. From that, plus the complexity of the law on this matter, the fact that it is a case of first impression, and there are numerous legal and constitutional issues associated with using the Espionage Act against a former president, the Florida grand jury, not having the benefit of seeing and hearing firsthand any of the witnesses, etc., The government would have been required to ensure that, in fact, the Florida grand jury and not the government indicted the former president based on probable cause, a requisite for each of the nearly 40 counts. Now, do you know what a case of first impression is? Do you know what that means? Well, there's a very interesting definition over Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is not always wrong. The matter of first impression is an issue where the parties disagree on what the applicable law is, and there is no prior binding authority so that the matter has to be decided for the first time. A first impression case may be the first impression in only a particular jurisdiction By definition, a case of first impression cannot be decided by precedent. Since there is no precedent for the court to follow, the court uses the plain language and legislative history of any statute that must be interpreted, holdings of other jurisdictions, persuasive authority, and analogies from prior rulings by other courts, which may be higher, peers, or lower courts in hierarchy, or from other jurisdictions, commentaries, and articles by legal scholars and the court's own logic and sense of justice. So a first impression is a kind of case that is brand new. It's not the kind of thing that's been decided before. And um, that's particularly challenging for a court because any federal court that hears it knows that the Supreme Court has the authority to overrule it to overturn it in this day and age when we've had a supreme court now for what is it 240 years something like that it's just very unusual to have a case of first impression i mean very unusual and that's not necessarily a good thing because the DOJ and these two um, out-of-control prosecutors, Georgia and New York, are doing outrageous Things and it's like the court's never seen anything like this before okay um Supreme Court's been around almost two hundred thirty four years. I was pretty close I was not too far off all right uh, back to uh, back to the great one Mark Levin he says. Although the federal rules of criminal procedure rule 6 specifically impose a secrecy requirement on federal grand jurors the judge should now the now that the indictment has been returned permit defense counsel to interview the grand jurors and release them from any secrecy obligation this that is the only way to discover before the defendants are forced to a trial whether the Fifth Amendment's obligation has been satisfied. And again, given how Jack Smith used the D.C. venue and a D.C. grand jury to conduct his very extensive investigation on matters related almost exclusively to events in Florida, this is an especially important issue. In all four cases involving the indictment of President Trump, the media have repeatedly reported that Trump has, quote, been indicted by a grand jury, unquote. The real question is whether the grand jury has truly deliberated or simply went through the motions at the direction of the prosecution. Did a majority vote to accuse Trump and all his co-defendants of the complex crimes alleged in the indictments, or was this window dressing for what happened in these secret proceedings? Another obvious example is a case in Georgia. The indictment is 98 pages in length and involves over 40 charges. Moreover, in addition to the individual charges, an umbrella charge of a grand conspiracy, that is a so-called RICO charge, is alleged, involving up to 19 co-conspirators, including the former president, This is an extraordinarily complicated factual and legal indictment, putting aside the obvious substantive weaknesses of the case. And in this case, like the federal documents case, prosecution has much to answer for. Recall that on the day the grand jury was to meet to vote on whether to indict, the actual indictment was published by the court clerk on the official website before the grand jury had even met or voted. Later that day, district attorney, Fanny Willis held a press conference playing up the fact that the 19 defendants who were accused had been charged by named ordinary citizens of the grand jury. Although under Georgia law, she could have filed the charges without a grand jury endorsing them. Since she claimed the indictment was the work of the grand jury, the question is whether in fact it was. From the moment the indictment was posted on the clerk's official website that morning, D.A. Fannie Willis moved at a frenzied pace to get an indictment by that evening. Exactly what happened in that grand jury room? What kind of deliberations occurred? Again, the issue is probable cause and whether the defendant's due process rights were abridged. In Georgia, the grand jurors are free to publicly speak. We saw that earlier when in a prior investigative grand jury. The foreman went on television after its proceedings concluded and would not stop talking about what had occurred among grand jurors, and she did so gleefully. Remember that? It should not be difficult for a defense counsel to get to the bottom of what occurred in the Georgia grand jury room. In the Manhattan case, New York City, when D.A. Alvin Bragg officially filed his indictment, he accompanied it with a prosecutor's statement that the media accepted as part of what they call the grand jury indictment. It was certainly presented that way. The question is whether the grand jurors actually voted on it. New York imposes a secrecy requirement of grand juries, but that requirement makes sense while the grand jury is considering criminal charges. Should it apply to prevent disclosure of how the prosecutor instructed the grand jury on the law and to discover whether the grand jurors did, in fact, consider whether there was probable cause to make the criminal allegations, and was Bragg's accompanied statement part of those proceedings? Finally, in the second federal case, supposedly involving January 6th, President Trump is not charged with insurrection or sedition, Yet when the special counsel, Jack Smith, made his remarks announcing the indictment, nearly half of his statement had no relevance to the charges brought by the grand jury. Here's what he said in part, and I quote. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia and sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021 was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes, they're patriots, and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives on the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Unquote. Now, Mark Levin says, again, this is a wide-ranging public condemnation of the former president in which Jack Smith all but accuses the former president of insurrection and sedition, for which he was not charged. Indeed, the charges are based on the 1871 Ku Klux Klan law, the post-Enron statute, and a financial fraud law that is used mostly in cases where contractors and others swindle the federal government. Exactly what information was presented to the grand jury and what did Jack Smith tell the grand jurors when they were urged to charge the former president? Did Smith use arguments about insurrection and sedition to persuade the grand jurors to vote for these other charges? This is a critical point. It appears that Smith played fast and loose with the law and the facts which does not meet the requirements for bringing charges that meet the probable cause standard. The grand jury process is intended to protect an individual's due process rights. Indictments are to be brought by ordinary citizens sitting as jurors. The government is to provide the jurors with witnesses, information, and an explanation of the relevant law so that the citizen jurors are making their decisions based on a true, accurate, and honest presentment. When this process is violated by politically motivated prosecutors, as with Bragg and Willis, or a prosecutor with a long record of abusing the criminal justice system, as with Smith, it is especially important that the Fifth Amendment not be abused and violated and used not to protect an individual but as a cudgel by the government intended to imprison their targets it is relevant to note that all three prosecutors had the grand jury's vote smack in the middle of a presidential election and all have demanded trials within months of the indictments, that is, for maximum political damage to candidate Trump and maximum political benefit to candidate Biden. The use of these grand juries, where there is obvious evidence of chicanery by these prosecutors, must be scrutinized. At the front end, of these various cases. Thus, the question I have is, where the heck are the attorneys representing President Trump and the other defendants? Why do they seem so passive in the face of potential grand jury abuses and, frankly, other government misconduct? This juncture of the process is highly significant. In fact, the Supreme Court has held that the defendant loses any right to challenge the grand jury process, at least at the federal level, once a trial is held on the indictment. Oh, my goodness. That means they should have jumped on this immediately, but they didn't. Do you sense the frustration that Mark Levin is having? Again, let me go back to the title of this article that I just read to you by Mark Levin over at Fox, the Trump prosecutors have a grand jury problem. Where are the defense attorneys? Well, kind of makes me wonder what kind of defense attorneys Trump is paying for Alina Habba. She is the one who I have seen on television the most recently. Now I stopped watching Fox news a few months ago, but you know, you, you, you catch her on YouTube clips from Fox News or Newsmax or wherever. And I looked her up, and she's a real estate attorney. So what she's doing in the middle of this, I don't know. But she likes to uh, do television interviews in front of courthouse wearing a dress showing a lot of cleavage, which doesn't really look professional to me. I would not be comforted or reassured that this is an attorney who is professional and who is doing everything she possibly can to protect my rights if she was billing me for hours, if you catch my drift. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I'm not an attorney, but I've sure seen a lot of them, talked to a lot of them. I've never seen one dressed like that. (sighs) Unreal. It's just unreal. A lot of articles have been written about this. I want to check out Steve McCann over at uh, AmericanThinker.com. He has an article entitled, Trump, Victim of a Radically Transformed Federal Judiciary. See, here's what a lot of people don't understand, too. If the Democrats take the White House again in 2024... They're going to put a lot more judges on federal courts, and this country probably will never come back. Just something to keep in mind. So there is that. Eddie Scari over at uh, com has an article entitled, This is Just a Preview of How the Dishonest Media Will Lie and mislead about Trump's show trials. Okay. Byron York over townhall.com. Trump's enemies come up with new schemes to take him out. I mean, it's, it just, it just doesn't stop. So, I hope, uh, I hope you can sense that I'm very concerned about where this is going. And again, as Donald Trump has said, as Ron DeSantis has said, as even people like Mitt Romney and liberal legal professor Alan Dershowitz has said, this is a lot bigger than just Donald Trump. We can't just start putting former presidents in federal prison. We can't just start putting political opponents of the current president in Fred It's slipping away, y'all. It's slipping away, I'm telling you, it's slipping away. 247 years after the beginning of the American Revolution and it is slipping away. And I go to the grocery store and I I sometimes wonder do any of these people realize what's going on? Are they aware of the times we are living in. I don't think enough are. I really don't think enough are. All right, hit it Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Don Washburn show, tweet of the day. Brought to you by Red River Auto.com, Red River Auto, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA, the in freedom. Including your freedom to Buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to. Online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Today's tweet of the day is from a guy I follow over there on Twitter. His handle is Martyr Made. I don't remember his real name, but here's what he said. It is no longer hyperbole to say that we live under an occupation regime. Learn to live undercover, the thumb of a state that is actively hostile to you. Follow its rules enough to stay off their radar, but you owe it absolutely no loyalty and should do anything you can to sabotage and gum up its operations without putting yourself at risk. When you have to deal with a government agent, you are dealing with an enemy. They would happily send you to jail for life, to leave your children without a parent and would celebrate if you were shot like Ashley Babbitt. When bad things happen to hostile government officials, do not be tempted into compassion or sympathy. You are under attack. It's time to get into a war mentality. And even as I write this, I have to say start being careful about what you say on the internet because. The 2 a.m. knocks on the door are not far away. That is a fellow who goes by Martyr Maid over on Twitter, or X as they're now calling it. Tweet of the day is brought to you by Red River Auto. We appreciate Mitch Ward and the crew. You've been listening to episode 404 of the all-new Doc Washman Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washman Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th Floor, of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansoor Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability, for the Doc Washburn Show. Well, that's the way it is. Wednesday, September sixth, 2023.